In reality, on the tennis court, most players self one relentlessly judges self two. Imagine a singles match played by Mr. A and Mr. B, and Mr. A serves out. His inner voice is surely, that's too bad. What's the reaction of Mr. B? Is he unaffected? Of course not. Seeing the same stroke, Mr. B judges it as advantageous and smiles. In this situation, the referee is the only person on the court who doesn't judge the event as positive or negative. He or she simply sees the ball land and calls out. Next, Mr. A's self one would be quick to criticize his self too, what a useless serve, you better not make the same mistake again. Was it because the racket was too high? The next serve must not be affected by what just happened. Mr. B may be thinking I must not make the same mistake. I'd be a fool if I can't take advantage of this opportunity. That's a good sign, I'm the winner. See, the two players self-1 and self-2 are both assessing the situation. Whether it is introspective negative feelings or mutual encouragement, the consequence is the same, to disrupt inner equilibrium. Under these circumstances, it is impossible to have a natural and focused game. The only person on the court who maintains neutrality is the referee. He looks at the facts without thinking or analyzing. His inner world is composed, accurately mirroring events as they occur on the court. To reach peak performance, the first step is to calm our mind like the referee. We should see ourselves and our surroundings objectively. Don't judge performance as either good or bad, let go of judgments altogether. Both Mr. A and Mr. B made emotional judgments. Mr. A was upset over his mistake, while Mr. B was gloating over it. They both considered their performances as good or bad, showing their concern with sentimental opinions. If we don't let go of feelings, the self-one in our ego will judge self-two, and as we discussed in the first part of the inner game, the result will be unproductive. Secondly, it's vital to trust self-two, to trust your bodily instinct. What approach does the toddler take when they learn to walk? Do they memorize a walking mantra or train by practicing? You may find such comparisons ridiculous, and yes, they do sound nonsensical. A toddler can't grasp complicated instructions, much less learn walking technique from them. So, how does the toddler learn to walk? This learning experience is based on nothing more than his observations and habitual reaction. He or she sees the adult's walking posture, then wants to imitate it. After countless failed attempts, they can walk independently without even realizing how they have learned. This is the power of the instincts of self too. Galway found that only moderate guidance is needed to correct a student's wrong movements. Too frequent verbal instructions undermine the chance for players to learn from their mistakes. They must learn by making mistakes to correct themselves. As we mentioned earlier, after understanding this problem, Galway made changes in his coaching. With as few instructions as possible, he showed the right actions by demonstration ten times. What the player needed to do was assimilate the visual image and then to integrate it. After that, the perfect swing happened naturally without calculation or planning. This is how the instinct of self-2 played out. At this point, self-1 quits being judgmental of self-2. Instinctive learning is ingrained in human DNA. So there is no need for self-1 to instruct self-2 anymore. This step develops trust. Of course, it would be hard to actually improve performance if we solely rely on the instincts of self-2.
And players should note that the instructions of the coach and self one are not useless nonsense, but professional techniques. Still, many people know these techniques, but have trouble practicing them. So, what can we do? Striving too hard will result in conflict between self one and self two. But how can we expect to become better players and win without correcting our moves? Galway also showed in his book that to develop new habits is the right way. He points out that as a rule of thumb, the first step in creating a new pattern of behavior is to break an old one. But this process of breaking habits consumes a lot of energy and undermines confidence. When practicing tennis, one may hear a lot of talk about grooving one's strokes in tennis. The groove theory refers to the fact that every time you swing your racket in a certain way, you increase the probabilities that you will swing that way again. The repeated behavioral patterns are termed grooves with a predisposition to repeat themselves. The most common way people use to get out of set grooves is to try to correct their old habits. People don't realize that the best way is to establish a fresh groove. A child doesn't have to break the habit of crawling when he learns to walk. When he finds it easier to walk than to crawl, he changes his behavior, that's all. In short, there is no need to battle against old habits. Just start new ones. Resisting the old habit actually gets you deeper in that groove. If you can be like a child, completely ignore imagined difficulties, it is easy to establish a new behavior pattern. Finally, as well as using the methods mentioned above, you also need focus. The power of concentration is tremendous. Concentration not only inspires happiness, but it also enhances charisma. There are many ways to practice concentration. Many mindfulness meditation books will teach you to focus on one thing at a time. It has been highlighted in many other bookies such as Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, and The Charisma Myth, how anyone can master the art and science of personal magnetism. In any sport or game, concentration is always an essential quality. Galway's method is the same. He teaches us to observe the ball. You don't have to think about how to hit the ball, what the score will be if you miss it, or what others will say. You just need to focus on the tennis ball with full concentration, and you will achieve harmony between self one and self two. In fact, when one has a still mind, one has already attained concentration. From the above two parts, we should understand that improving harmony between self one and self two helps people win a game or learn a new skill. And this harmony is not some arcane piece of wisdom from Eastern philosophy. It can be practiced. First of all, we must let go of judgments and observe ourselves and our surroundings with objectivity. Stop judging ourselves and our performance as either good or bad. Second, use our intuitive capabilities. These are tremendous, rooted in human genes. As long as we provide self to a clear visual image of the desired results, all we have to do is release and let it happen. Harmony between the two selves begins as self one trusts self two. Thirdly, develop new habits. There is no need to change old bad habits, just ignore them. And finally, concentrate. Train your concentration by focusing on a specific object. If you adopt these practices, you will be an excellent tennis player and unbeatable on the court in the future. So, is Galway's harmony between the two selves only for sports games? Is its significance limited to accomplishing people's sports goals? Next, in part 3 we will look at the significance of harmony between two selves.